coach community is busy solving IEP struggles. Master IEP coaches are the idea bringers, solution finders, and team builders at the IEP table. And I'm going to share with you three questions and their answers that are happening right now inside of our Master IEP coach community. Welcome to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and let's jump right in. This morning, I woke up to a question from one of our coaches. She's been doing this a long time, and she has a full client list. In fact, she has a wait list most of the time, and she is typically helping families who have uh, children who have behavior plans. So, and that could be in the autism community. It could be in, uh, you know, learning disability community. It It's just children who struggle with behaviors. And we know that we need to work as a team to build better supports. So this is what she writes this morning. She says, I am drowning in FBAs and behavior plans. Every single one is the same. I swear I could cut one kid's name out and paste in another, and it would still be accurate. It seems like these plans are just scratching the surface and sticking a Band-Aid on it. I'd love some inspiration or tips to push the standard form type of assessments and behavior plans into something that is actually going to make a difference. And I know teachers and therapists and admin are feeling the same burnout. There has to be something better. So she's feeling the same thing that probably a lot of you are feeling too. Just kind of like we're doing the same things over and over and over. We have the standard process, especially when it comes to functional behavior assessments or behavior intervention plans. And she's like, come on, like I need to spice things up here and make sure that we are individualizing things, that we're looking outside the box. I've been doing these over and over and over and it's the same conversations. So what can I do? So the first thing that I mentioned to her this morning is to go back and look at the podcast episode from last week. So I reviewed two different books uh, talking about behavior, and one of them really focuses on the family and how to write a vision statement when it comes to a functional behavior assessment. That's something different that most of you have probably never heard of. We talk about parent vision statements all the time in our Master IP Coach community, and, and we use this whole form to make sure that parents are equal members of the IEP team in a way that they're collaborating and building this bigger picture. And we can do that with behavior plans too. And so the book is actually called Helping Your Family Thrive. And if you're like, yes, I, I need some of this inspiration too, just go back to the podcast episode right before this one and you'll get links and there's discount codes. And there's another book there that talks a little bit heavier about data. So one is really parent-focused and the parent vision and the other one is parent-focused but it talks a little bit more about data. So if you're struggling with behavior plans, I want to encourage you to go get some new insights from those two books from the last episode. I do have to throw in a couple of wins. I've got to give a shout out to um, a teacher who is a master IP coach. She works full-time in the system and she also wants to start helping people outside of her current role in the classroom. And she says, you know, hi everyone, I have an interesting situation. She hasn't even started really advertising or sharing that she's a master IP coach and she's going to help people outside of the system, but she already has an email from a parent who's like, hey, could you help me write these IEP goals for my child? Like give some input on if, you know, these IEP goals make sense and how much do you charge? So this is something that she's extremely skilled at and she's gonna be able to help this parent really get back some hours of sleep and um, stop Googling and figuring out, is this right? Or is this written well? And really to have a teacher consulting and, and being that person that can be her trusted advisor, because, you know, sometimes it's hard to build trust on an IEP team. It's absolutely possible, but building that trust 
you know, we're all coming to the IEP table with some baggage, right? We've all had some situations that maybe have not been so good. So bringing in a master IEP coach saying, okay, like, hey, how much do you charge? Could you just help me with this piece so I can sleep better at night? That's an amazing thing. So I'm really excited for her. We have another master IP coach who is a therapist. And she just said, I just opened up my Facebook messenger and I got my first message from my non-friend. So it's a, not a current friend of her and she wants to become a client and she hasn't even finished module four of the mentorship. So the Master IP Coach Mentorship has four modules. And then we also have advanced monthly coaching that happens. So she hasn't even finished that. And she's got somebody saying, Hey, like, I see what you're doing out there and what you're talking about. Can you help me? So I just want to encourage you that if you have ever thought about helping people through the special education system, becoming a master IP coach is a great option. And if you are struggling because you're making a lot of decisions on your own, whether you're a teacher, admin, parent, therapist, and you're like, I just need to get surrounded by other people. Or if you're just like, I'm just want to hire somebody to work one-on-one, -on -one, we actually have a directory. I'll make sure that I put the link here. So you just go to masteripcoach.com slash directory, and you can see all the master IP coaches that are available to help. Okay. So here we go. Question number two, we have a master IP coach who's a little bit newer to our community and um, she has taken the course. She has dug in. In fact, she's even come to one of our live conferences. So we do these live conferences around the country. In fact, we've been selling them out. So we have added more for 2023. So we will have eight live conferences. I know that sounds like a lot, but here's the thing. They are limited to 12 people each. This is not a big conference that you come to and you get lost and overwhelmed and you take a bunch of notes and then you close your notebook, go home and go back to life the way that it was. This is a, a truly small group intensive session where you get the IEP help that you need. So this master IP coach, she has taken the online course and she's come in person and she's in our network so she can ask questions. And she says, you know, I'm reading a pre-K evaluation where they used the wrong child child's name the majority of the way through the report. Oh, bummer. <laughs> right? Now, here's the thing. I've been traveling for 20 years teaching IEP workshops. And one of the first things that I ask is, is it the correct name throughout your child's IEP if I'm sitting in a room full of parents? And some parents are like, I can't believe you would even ask that. Like, how silly is this workshop going to be? And then there's always one parent in the room that's like, hmm. Actually, I fixed it, but I had already found it. Or they're like, I didn't even notice. Look. And this happens. So we have to be really careful as teachers and admins and therapists. I know there's some things that you're going to cut and paste. Like, let's just get real. You are not going to necessarily type every word brand new into every IEP. However, it is a different level of cutting and pasting when you are forgetting to take out a child's name. So Let's just make sure that we're doing it because here's what's going to happen in this situation. We're going to assume that this assessment has not been done for this child because they pulled the report from another child. Now, our assumption could be wrong, but that's where the parent is like, I don't even know if my kid was even given this test because I have no results that, that would show that. I only know somebody else's results that were in there. So now we have to look back and say, what tests need to be given? Were they given at all? Were they partially given? Did the data get mixed up between two kids? Like what happened? So now we're kind of starting from scratch and that's going to put our data collection behind in, in our timeline that we're hoping to, to help get a child services, right? Because this is pre-K, which means we've got a young one who's struggling, who needs to get help. And now we got to start over. So number one, if this has ever happened to you, you're not alone. 
Okay, mistakes happen. Number two, let's be diligent about making sure that this doesn't happen, okay? And number three, if this does happen, starting back from scratch is most likely the best situation that that you're gonna have, right? So just going back and saying, okay, if we need to extend this timeline a little bit and we need to um, give a different test or we need to have somebody else test or um, we need to just look at a, a bigger picture of how we can collect data quickly because we have to get some answers fast, but starting over and making sure that there's no worry. Because here's the thing, if we just say, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, let's just move on. There's always gonna be this doubt in the parent's mind, and there's going to be that lack of trust, and that's not okay. So we have to do what's, whatever we need to do to build back that trust. We need to own that responsibility of like, oops, right? Like it happened, and I can't take back that it happened, but I can make it right. So I hope that doesn't happen to you, but if it does, just know, take the responsibility, let's start back at scratch, and let's earn that trust. Okay, this next one I love because... This time of the school year, in fact, any time of the school year, it doesn't matter when you're listening to this. We happen to be recording in October. Um, in fact, I'm recording on Halloween, but any time of the school year, you can be looking at changing a child's placement, right? Sometimes the placement just doesn't work out long-term and we need to make sure that a child is in that least restrictive environment. We need to make sure all the supports are being delivered. There's a lot of things that have to happen with placement, right? <clears throat> so this master IP coach said, does anyone have a tool that they share with the families who they're working with that they give to the family as they go visit other programs and classrooms within the district? You know, something to help them think through the visit. I have a client who will be seeing two different programs along the full continuum of placements, and I would love to give them something that they can take with them so that the visit is more productive. Yes. I got to answer that one and say, yes, actually, it's in um, module three of the Master IP Coach Mentorship. It's essential checklist for student success. And one of the checklists is making sure that the parents and the Master IP Coach and the team are all thinking about some things that often get forgotten as they're going to look at new placements or new classrooms. So I'll share a couple of those with you. Um, so, but this Master IP Coach, she was able to go jump into the module and because she is a current master IP coach, she gets to download that tool and use that tool for her personal use and then for her clients uh, in that. So she just had to, she got to skip making a new tool or going to search for it. She just gets to download it and use it. But I want to give you a couple of those strategies that are in those tools. So number one, one of the things that I love to have families look at when they're going to observe a classroom is I want them to look at the things that are on the wall and the things that are on the teacher's desk. Now, for all my teachers, this just went, oh gosh, like my desk is a mess. That's okay. That's okay. We're not looking for like neatness when it comes to your desk. We're looking for like, what do you have going on? Like what, like, like, do you have um, some curriculum books? Do you have, um, you know, fidgets that are at your desk? Like, what do you have at your desk? There's nothing right or wrong because here's the thing. Every child is different. But a teacher's desk says a lot about the classroom. So it's more so just being observant, not judging, just observant. Because we all know that depending on what type of you know, classroom you're in, your desk looks different and that's okay. The other thing that I want um, the families to look at is the stuff that's on the walls. And that's because if I see something that looks exactly the same, like an art project that's made exactly the same by all the students, mm, 
I'm questioning, you know, and especially if it's a classroom, let's just say it's a self-contained classroom. Everybody's going to have varying skills at a wide level, most likely. So to have something turn out exactly the same, I'm like, hmm. Did the kids do this independently? Are we working on independence? Or are we looking at, you know, making sure that um, the kid is, is producing work that is reflective of their ability level and just kind of meeting them where they're at? And, you know, everybody's artwork should look different. So what else is on the wall? Do we see academic things? Do we see community signs? Do we see, which community signs, in my opinion, that's academic, right? We are reading for a function, in that. So I, I just want to know what's on the walls, because again, that's very reflective of the conversations that are happening in that classroom. Because when you go into a classroom and you go to observe, we all know that that five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes that you were there, that is not reflective of the hours and hours and hours and days and days and days of that classroom. So making sure that you are kind of looking at the things that are there a little bit more permanently, that can be helpful. So that, that, those are a couple of things to look for. The other thing that I want uh, the family to look for or to ask about is how do we make sure that every child is included on the school campus? Not just inclusion minutes, not just, you know, oh, well, you know, if it all works out, then our students in this classroom get to go spend 15 minutes during the morning meeting over in this other classroom. Like that's their inclusion time. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear how are things inclusive? Like, do we have inclusive things on the playground? Do we have inclusive books in the library? Do we have things that are going to support a, a different learner throughout the entire school community? Because a child is not limited to just learning in their classroom. A child needs to be supported throughout their entire community. So that's another thing that I, I absolutely want parents to ask about. The other thing is I, I want parents to ask about what's the research-based curriculum that's used in this classroom? Ooh, now let me tell you why I ask about that one. Because I was a teacher. And I walked in to my first classroom and several other classrooms after that. And I did not have curriculum. I was given IEPs. The IEPs had some tools listed in them. And I did not have curriculum. I had to go ask for curriculum. I had to go advocate for myself to go get curriculum. So I had the tools that I needed, the research-based tools that I needed to teach my students. They were not just organically given to me as a special education teacher. So teachers, if you ever have a parent ask that, guess what? They are not criticizing you. They're really not. They're looking for the tools that the school district needs to provide to you and your child or their child, your student, so they can achieve their IEP goals with research-based curriculum. This is, a, this is a question that helps a parent advocate for the staff and for the child in that classroom. You know what? It's exciting when it happens. I know it can sound uncomfortable, but I'm telling you, one of those students that I had um, that I, was, I shared with you, I walked into a room, all I had was, you know, desk, chairs, um, you know, a couple of tables and a stack of IEPs. And the, the parent actually came to me and said, like, do you have this, this, this? And I'm like, no, I don't have those. Like, well, our child needs that. In fact, it's written into the IEP. Now, a specific curriculum wasn't written into the IEP, but a research-based curriculum to teach at the time, I think it was, we were talking about reading and phonics and comprehension, like it, that a research-based curriculum was written into the IEP, even though the law says that, that everybody has to have it they had that written into the IP. So they're like, okay, so you don't have that. Just so you know, we're going to be advocating for that. And again, it's nothing, it's, it's nothing like I, it wasn't my fault that it wasn't there and they knew it. 
So we can absolutely use opportunities like this to help advocate for teachers and for students to make sure that they are getting the supplies that they need to implement the IEP. So again, I hope that this helped you kind of see what's happening in special education right now. Maybe after hearing this, you're like, mm, all of these questions are the Master IP Coach community. I got a question that I want to ask. Just go ahead and reach out or head over to masteriepcoach.com. You'll see that there's a link there for IEP trainings. You can see how you can get connected to us online, how you can come train with us in person, how you can get connected in this community and ask questions, whether they're for yourself or maybe you're going to be helping clients to get all the tools that you need without staying up and Googling at 3 a.m. But no matter what you do, never forget that the entire purpose of an IEP is to provide that free and appropriate public education that meets a child's unique needs and prepares them for further education, employment, and independent living. Remember, I didn't make that up. That's part of idea law. I'm not a lawyer, but I love to share with you where to look and how we can build the strong foundation of education for all learners together. I'll see you next time on the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast.